You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Uh, and for, for those of us who are still here, uh, we're going to be gathering together again around the book of Joshua. And so this year, what we've been doing is kind of taking a slower pace through some of the books of the Bible and kind of looking at some of the different genres. So we talked about Genesis, and now we're looking at Joshua. And Joshua really gets into a lot of the history of the Old Testament. Now, I was a history major in college, so this is very exciting to me. Some of y'all are like, wow, history, this is going to be great. <laughs> but what we see is the reason that they recorded their history was not to, to bore their children to death, though I recognize for some it does that. Uh, it, it was to help them to remember, uh, to remember who they are, to remember who they were, to remember what God had done. And the best way I can begin to think about this is uh, from a movie that came out uh, a few years back uh, by Pixar called uh, Inside Out. And uh, I loved Inside Out for a lot of reasons. One, because it kind of deals with the range of emotions. It, it's fun for kids, it's, but it's got those messages where you're like laughing as an adult, and then you realize, like, oh, that one, that one cuts deep. <laughs> right? uh, but one of the key things that they talked about in this was this idea of core memories. And what they were trying to do was to explain how major moments in our lives uh, can form these core memories that really shape our personalities and, and who we are and even who we become, the choices that we make. Um, so I've got a clip that I want to share in just a second. Uh, our license allows us to show this clip to those in person. For those who are watching online, we don't have a license that allows us to do that. And Disney's too close, and I think they would hear us playing it. Um, so for those who are online, we're going to mute it for just a second, but don't worry, we'll come back. Um, but take a look at this clip from Inside Out. Anyway, these are Riley's memories, and they're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. <laughs> But the really important ones are over here. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important time in Riley's life. Uh, like when she first scored a goal. Oh, that was so amazing. memory powers a different aspect of Riley's personality. Like Hockey Island. Goofball Island is my personal favorite. Come back here, you little monkey. <laughs> yep, Goofball is the best. So what I love about that is it gives us this idea of how uh, our personalities develop over time and how they shift and change and grow. And if we, if we watched more of that, it would talk about how the different islands that started in Riley as, as a child will grow and develop and change. And so uh, one of them turns into boy band island <laughs> as she grows up. Um, so there, there's so new parts of our personality develop. Uh, but then I, I love the concept in there about how islands like friendship that were there at the beginning adapt and change. Uh, and there's a line in there that says, uh, improved friendship island with a friendly argument section. And I, I, that made me laugh because I think about how that's so true. Like as our friendships grow and develop, we develop aspects of it, like the ability to have friendly arguments and friendly disagreements and still remain friends. And so it speaks to this idea of how core memories, things that happen in our life that are typically not contrived but tend to almost happen organically and naturally, shape deeply who we are 
but those also grow and change and adapt. And so when I look at a book like Joshua, I see more than just the history. I see Israel forming core memories of who they are and who God is with them. And so for Israel, in the chapters that we'll look at today, chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua, uh, we're going to be kind of taking some sections from that, but if you want to follow along, we'll be looking at Joshua chapters 3 and 4 today. Israel is making core memories as a people. And it's important that they remember these things. They remember that God was tangible and real, that they form these islands of who God is in their own subconscious, because this will help them as they go on through their life. Uh, So I wanted to go ahead and Start with our scripture this morning. We'll begin in Joshua chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We're going to, as I mentioned, kind of jump around in 3 and 4. But this is the story, before we get into this, this is the story of Israel as we've been talking. They've come out of Egypt. They've come through their years wandering in the desert. They've come to the Jordan River, which is just as much a geographical boundary as, as it is a spiritual, emotional boundary for them. And there's a lot of work being done for them to cross over. Once they cross over, they're in the land that God had given to them, and it would dramatically change who they are and how they related uh, to God. But So they're still on the side of the Jordan. They hadn't yet crossed over, but they're getting instructions on what that's going to look like. And so Joshua said to the people, make yourselves holy. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things among you. Then Joshua said to the priest, lift up the covenant chest. We call this the Ark of the Covenant. Go along in front of the people. So they lifted up the covenant chest and went in front of the people. The people marched out from their tents to cross over the Jordan. The priests carrying the covenant chest were in front of the people. When the priests who were carrying the chest came to the Jordan, their feet touched the edge of the water. The Jordan had overflowed its banks completely, the way it does during the entire harvest season. But at that moment, the water of the Jordan coming downstream stood still. It rose up as a single heap very far off, just below Adam, which is the city next to Zarethan. The water going down to the desert sea, that is the Dead Sea, was cut off completely. The people crossed opposite Jericho. So the priest carrying the Lord's covenant chest stood firmly on dry land in the middle of the Jordan. Meanwhile, all of Israel crossed over on dry land until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Pick twelve men from the people, one man per tribe. Command them, pick up twelve stones from right here in the middle of the Jordan, where the feet of the priest had been firmly planted. Bring them across with you and put them down in the camp where you're staying tonight. Joshua set up at Gilgal Gilgal, those twelve stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask their parents, What about these stones? Then you will let your children know, Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. This was because the Lord your God dried up the water of Jordan before you crossed over. This was exactly what the Lord your God did to the Reed Sea. Other translations would say the Red Sea. He dried it up before us until we crossed over. This happened so that all of the earth's people might know that the Lord's power is great and that you may always revere the Lord your God. Now, there's a, there's a lot of things that are happening 
in this passage here. They're crossing over. If, if it began to sound familiar, you probably caught it towards the end. It almost kind of makes a parallel from when Israel came out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh, and they crossed through the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And so it almost serves as a bookend. They began their journey crossing through the sea with the waters being parted. They would end this season of their journey, again, with waters parted, crossing through, and the Lord making a way. And so what I also see here is a particular pattern. Um, and I think that this pattern is going to be helpful for us to see because it happens here in Joshua. It happens in the New Testament, but it's also a pattern for our lives. Uh, and it's this. Uh, there's a sense of preparing. There's a miracle that happens. There's a call to remember and then a call to share. So to make this easy to remember, Pimmers. Pimmers, that should stick with you. This I tried to find like a good alliteration, and I just couldn't, and I liked the word miracle there. Um, it was like a bad wordle. I just kept moving things around. Um, so, Pimmers, we'll go with that for this morning. Whether or not that part works, that's the pattern that we see kind of happening over and over again. And so I want to look at how this begins to shake out. And so the first part that I want to look at is this time of preparation. In verse 5, the scripture says, Joshua said to the people, make yourselves holy. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things among you. Now in this passage alone, you can see the first sentence is kind of the, is prepare. The second one points forward to the miracle. And that phrase there, make yourselves holy, I think is an interesting one. Maybe your translation says, consecrate yourself. Whether it says holy or consecrate, the idea here is that the people of God are intended to do some kind of outward practice that prepares who they are inside. They're supposed to do something outwardly that will help them to better be more inwardly open to God. And so that's what spiritual practices and things like prayer and reading scripture and fasting and gathering for worship, they do. That's what, those are outward practices that make us more open to God. And so the call here to be holy, sometimes as modern people, we read this as to be perfect, to have nothing wrong with us. Right? And, and that's more of our modern concept of what perfection looks like and what society tells us it means to be perfect. When we see the word holy, what we see here is not what we can do for ourselves, but what God is doing within us. And so to prepare ourselves for that, we simply bring ourselves to a place like we did this morning where we can do something outwardly that makes us inwardly more open to God. I think we'd all probably confess that it's easier to feel like we're following Jesus on Sunday morning at, at 1030 than maybe it is Wednesday at 2 p.m., right? This is an outward practice that shapes our inward uh, spirit. And so then the miracle happens after that. Uh, the idea that they cross the Jordan... And I want to remind us that this isn't just a big moment there. It's a, it's a promise that God made that God kept. And this wasn't lost on them. It was a promise that was made to Abram in Genesis 15. It was a promise that was made to Jacob when he leaves Canaan. It was a promise that was made to Moses when he was first called to go and, and as we know, to, to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so these stories were told and told and told again, just like all those family stories that you have. And the idea there is that it was intended for them to remember that God promised this and God accomplished this. 
Most of the generation who saw the promise kept wasn't there when the promises were made. And I think that speaks to that challenge that we often feel about maybe hearing that God wants to do something or believing that God wants to do something in our lives and sometimes the the time that it takes to get there. The in-between, the 40 years of wandering, those are the hard seasons. But this is an exciting passage because it's the answer to the prayer that they prayed forever. And it gives us this beautiful bookend where they come out of slavery into the desert, through the sea, and then they enter into the promised land, the presence of God. In a sense, they settle in their home in the same way that they, kept, that they came out. And so this becomes the miracle. Uh, and this isn't a Webster definition, uh, but as I understand this passage here, here's how I'm explaining miracle. A thing that God does that is to be marveled at. A miracle isn't something that we can do ourselves. There's a lot of things that we can do. There's a lot of ways that we can kind of make provision for ourselves, our family, our friends, our community. A miracle is something that we have to step back and say, I was here, but I didn't do that. This is God's work. And that's what this miracle is. And what's happening is this becomes a core memory. In inside-out terms, a little yellow ball pops up and, and rolls down and then takes that very central spot in the identity of Israel. A core memory of when we crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, when we realized the promise of God was kept. We realized that our prayers had been heard. And then the invitation, the the third part of that pattern is to remember. To remember. And I love that there's also an invitation for them to gather those stones as a way of remembering. And it kind of reminds me, it's a very kind of holy act, and perhaps I wish I'd grabbed the picture. Perhaps you've seen these before. It's usually kind of like large, flat river stones. I think there's actually a name for this. And when you stack them up and you make these kind of like small stone altars, if anybody knows that word, shout it out. Okay, we'll Google that this week, and then we'll figure it out. Uh, But that's the idea, is they would kind of shape these 12 stones, and they become kind of core memory spots. Uh, But we do this, too. We, We gather trinkets to remember, don't we? When we go on vacation, when we do something significant, oftentimes when we experience those core moments, we, we, we gather a trinket to bring back with us. I have such a shelf on my office, uh, and this, so the, I, didn't, I never called it this before, but this is my, one of my core memory shelves. Um, and it's just got some trinkets that I've gathered over the years. Uh, we, are, we are three-time Disney Cruise Line champions for costume contests. I've got pictures that would be a divergent from where we're going this morning. Um, I've got these two water bottles here, which are from when I went to, to Israel, and one of them has water from the Jordan River, where this happened, where Jesus was baptized. One of them has water from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, whenever we do a baptism, I put a little bit of each of those waters in there. It's not magic, it's just kind of significant to me. Um, these, these giraffes here are from um, Melanie and I's honeymoon when we went to, um, to where we go? It's been a long time, to Sandals. Uh, and we found this in the straw market in the Bahamas. Everything up there, there's a lot of things. This little chicken there, that's another story. The, even the Coke coasters, all of those, I can look at that shelf, and it reminds me of core moments, right? You probably have these kind of trinkets and these things. Like, nothing up there really has any monetary value. But everything there has significance to me. And just sitting and looking at that shelf brings a lot to me. And so I know, I mean, think of where are those things for you? What are those trinkets for you? Maybe it's even something that you have on you today that reminds you of something significant. 
And so in the scriptures, the, the call is to stack stones. We do that other ways, but we still do it today because we want to remember those miracle moments. And then the last part of the pattern that we see, we see it happen in verse 24, where it says, This happened so that all the earth's peoples might know that the Lord's power is great and that you may always revere the Lord your God. And what I see happening here is an invitation to prepare ourselves to experience the miracle, to gather something that helps us to remember it, but then to share it with someone else. To give a witness or an account of what God has done for us. And maybe sometimes that takes the form of sharing with someone else to say, hey, let me tell you what God has done for me. Right? Let me tell you how this prayer that I prayed forever finally got answered. Right? Let me tell you how God came through. Sometimes we do it another way by by giving of our time and our energy, by serving with our hands or, or giving our time back as a way of saying, you know, God, thank you for what you've done for me. I want to offer myself in service of someone else. These are ways that we share what God has done. And so over the history of God's people, we'll get to this uh, later in the year as we kind of continue on through the books of the Bible, um, not those exact stones, obviously, uh, but the people of God will begin to gather stones from the area, build them together, and to form a temple, a, a place of worship that they could go regularly. They'd been wandering in the desert. They didn't exactly have this, but they basically had a trailer with all their church stuff in it behind them that they would kind of drag around with them. They'd camp out, they'd pop up the tent, they'd put all the things out, and they'd worship, and they'd pack it all up. And the movement over the Jordan to the Promised Land mean that they were home. And so they would begin to build a physical structure that was there that they could trust, that they could count on, that they could go to. It wasn't God, but it was a place where they could connect with God more easily. Right? And, and so the stones that we see here kind of begin the movement towards that temple that we'll see in the future. And the temple becomes a place where they can commune with God together. Now I want to jump from Joshua all the way into the New Testament because this pattern repeats itself again. Uh, and it begins this time, we could say ironically or serendipitously, once again at the Jordan. This time with John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And it says, In those days John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, Change your heart and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah said, the prophet spoke when he said, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. Um, and I don't have it up, but Liam, could you take me back to slide the verse right before this? Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, the passage here, it says, change your heart and lives. Maybe your version says, repent and believe the good news. It's the same idea that we saw in Joshua, where the people are told to prepare themselves. John the Baptist shows up on the scene at the Jordan River, and I'm sure the significance isn't lost on him or the people who gathered together, that this was the same place that they had been delivered before. And now here they are again, hundreds of years later, and they're being told once again to change their heart and lives, to do something outward that would help to open them up inwardly to what God was doing. In this case, it was baptism in the Jordan by John. And so once again, there's the P there, the prepare. The people of God are being called to, to do something outwardly to make themselves more open to who God is, to consecrate, to make holy. 
And then Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. And all of this becomes another promise that was made, that a Messiah would come, a Savior would come. And then we see it finally happen. And it took, again, a long time to get there. But here the people of God can stand in that moment and say, the promise was kept. The promise was kept. Salvation is now available in this life and in the next. And just like they saw in Joshua, another core memory pops up, rolls down the track, finds its way into that little hub, and we have this island that becomes the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A core memory for the church. And that becomes a significant moment for us, too. For some people, maybe you made a decision to follow Jesus uh, later on in life, maybe as, a, as an older child or in college or high school or as an adult, and you can, maybe you have a core memory of that experience. For me, I, I, I came to faith through young life and high school, so I still remember uh, the camp and the tree that I sat under where I, I prayed that to receive Christ as my Savior and began that journey. Uh, many of you grew up in the faith. You were baptized in the faith. Your parents, your family did these things, and so you may not remember. You may just say to yourself, you know, I feel like I've, I've always believed. I've always known that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. But my hunch is that all of us have these core memories of a time in our life where our faith became real or maybe tangible, where we had to make a decision for ourselves to say, you know, I've been raised with this, but I choose this as my own. And so here again we see these, but we also mark these in ways together. So again, we, we prepare, we see the miracle, And then we find a way to memorialize it. And so Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, We think about things like Easter that's coming up. And all of these are ways that we remember what God has done. We rehearse these things. Because quite honestly, otherwise we just forget. It is more natural for humans to forget what God has done when we're in a place where we need God to do something. We think, like, I know you've came through for me in the past, but will you today? I mean, I think that. I feel that from time to time. I'm sure you do too. And so the interesting thing here, though, is that when Jesus comes on the scene at the cross and at the resurrection, he doesn't tell the disciples, hey, like, grab a stone. Like, the 12 of you, grab a stone and build a little memorial here. This part is where it begins to shift. And instead of telling them to grab a stone, we find these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. You yourselves are being built like living stones, see the difference, into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy priesthood to offer up a spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I think that is so significant and exciting. We see the progress where in the beginning they kind of gathered stones and made these kind of not living tangible reminders, kind of like I call them, like the little trinkets that I have on my shelves. You know, these things are not alive. They're just remembering things. Peter tells us that now we are the stones. You and I are the stones, those of us who have experienced the miracle of Jesus Christ in our lives. And instead of building a physical place, a physical temple, instead of putting our energy into there, those are meaningful and those are important. Uh, Having a, a place of worship that Uh, architecturally draws our focus and our attention up towards heaven, I think is important and significant. But Peter reminds us that that these living stones, you and I, 
we are the pieces being fit together into a spiritual temple. So that's the difference of what God is doing now. It's not so much about building this kind of grand, glorious temple that we see in the Old Testament. It's about a people of God who become the people of God. And of course, that ends there with, again, sharing. The idea that it's not the beautiful temple that speaks to how, how amazing God is. It's not uh, the 12 stones piled up there that speak to how amazing God is. It's, it's us. It's our stories. It's, it's us sharing with someone else. Here's what God has done in my life. Here's where I was challenged or going through something or everything was falling apart. And the only way I can explain how I got from there to here is by saying it was a miracle. That's what the shift becomes in the New Testament, that we get to give an account of what God has done to inspire others. And so that takes us from Old Testament to New Testament to today. And right now we're in the season of Lent, which is this six-week journey to the cross. We kind of follow the journey of Jesus through his life that took him to the cross as a way of preparation, the P there, for Easter. And so Lent is a season that calls us to do something outwardly that helps us to become more openly or more inwardly open to what God wants to do in us. And so we do things like light candles that help us to remember the journey that Jesus took, the 40 days in the desert, the journey to the cross. We do things like gather together for worship. Perhaps you've got the daily reading guide that's popped up in your email each day that we're putting out as another way to kind of help read and remember what God has done. And so I want to invite us once again to think about the call of the season. What are the outward actions that we can do today, now, this week, that will help foster an inward openness to what God is saying and doing in us? And it's not magic. It's not hard. It's, it's things like prayer and, and reading scripture, things like fasting, uh, which, again, that has a different modern connotation. It's the idea of just setting something aside in order to, t- to give, gather more time to be with God, right? It could be as simple as less time on TikTok so I can have more time like, to gather myself in prayer, right? Less time kind of watching TV. It could be instead of doing that, I'm going to take maybe a 10-minute walk today so I can use that time to kind of see the beauty of nature, right? It's these outward actions that we take that help us to meet with God. So I want to give you this question to think about. I want to shift to that miracle part. What has the Lord done for you? Is there something that you can look at, maybe in your life right now, and you can say, this is a miracle? And maybe for some of you, you've got something in your head, there's something going on where you can say, this is an answered prayer. Right? This is a time where a promise was made and a promise was kept. If you're not sure and you're kind of wondering, I thought that this might be a way to do this. If, if you've got a phone, and again, you're welcome to do this in church, uh, take your phone out and just scroll through your photos. And, and maybe kind of look for a photo, maybe in the last weeks, months, maybe in the last year, one that sticks out to you where you can say, you know, there's a photo, a, a trinket, a memorial, a, a set of rocks that I put together. I took this photo because I wanted to remember that moment. I wanted to remember what was happening And so that can be a way to begin to think back because, again, if you're going through a desert season, it's hard to see the miracles. It's hard to remember what God has done. 
And if you find a photo or you've got a memory that comes to mind right now, I want to invite you to ask yourself the question, how was God present with you in that moment? Let me jump out. I had extra slides right there. There we go. I want to invite you to ask this question of yourself. How was God present to you in that moment, in that miracle that you experienced? Because what we're doing is we're allowing those core memories to pop up, allowing us to, to in a sense, hold on to them, and to store them, and allow those memories of God's faithfulness and of God's hope and of God's love and of God's salvation to form those islands in our minds and our subconscious that help us to remember. And so instead of a building, God is sending us as living stones to tell of God's miracles, to inspire and to give hope to others. Remember, in the Old Testament, the people of God were never given all these miracles and blessings and temples and things for themselves. As we saw earlier, it was always so that the world would see. And so God's work in our lives isn't just for us. It's so that others can see the goodness and the love and the hope of God. And so if you want to take it just a step further, one of the ways that we can kind of share that is the way that we think of sharing oftentimes. Maybe that photo, that memory, that thing that you found could be something that you could use on social media to say to your friends and family, came across this photo, it reminded me once again of maybe how God came through or something that God did. Because remember, some of the ways that we can share are by sharing with others and friends, not in a way that's, that's kind of over the top where it's like, we've all had those heavy-handed kind of shares where it's like someone is clearly trying to convince us of something, right? But just in those natural conversations that we have with friends and family of like, you know what, here's where I was, and, and I think here's what God has done for me. And maybe we could explain it, but to me, it's a miracle. To me, it, it was God's help. Maybe for some of us, the way that we share that is by offering our hands in service, in acts of service, in acts of compassion, in acts of justice. And we allow those core memories, those things that God has done to shape us in how we serve the world. And so this morning, uh, as Jared and the team uh, come back to lead us in some more music, I want to invite you to reflect as we worship. Think about how you want to prepare yourself in this season. Think about the miracle or miracles that God has done. Think about how you remember those and hold on to those. Think about how you might share that with someone this week. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.